Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Before we get into today's interview, I did want to mention one thing that I forgot to bring up while we were doing the interview. We are actually using a pen name today for security reasons because we don't want to do anything to impede Steve's ability to travel where he needs to go or might compromise his safety or the safety of anybody that he's working with. So when we talk about Steve Fisher today, that is a pen name. All right. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show. I'm your host, Brian Ensminger, and this week I have a special guest with me. If you've ever wondered what God is doing among the Buddhist people in South Asia, you might want to hear a little bit more from our guest today. After 24 years of serving in Southeast Asia, they're planning to launch a team of church planters in Thailand and Laos. With all that experience, I think that we're going to gain some strong insights into how God reaches the Buddhists. With that, I'd like to introduce Steve Fisher. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here. It's really great to have you on the show. Now, we know a little bit about your ministry, and we'll kind of focus a little bit more on that later. But before we get into that, can you share with us maybe a little bit about yourself, your family? Who Who is it that you are? Yeah, i am uh, been married for 25 years. We have two sons. They're now transitioning into their adult life here in the United States. So we're we're at a transition time in our own family ministry as well from... Uh, living in Southeast Asia in very remote circumstances and being here in America to help our sons transition into their adult life. So that's something going on right now. And I think when we were talking a little bit before, that's been a bit of a challenge for you. Is there any, um, is there anything specific that you're kind of working through in that? I think just, uh, helping them make good decisions, helping them and seek the Lord in all circumstances here in their new context. Sometimes there's some cultural things that uh, surprise us and are a little bit awkward, and so we're just helping them think through those things. They're both in university right now, and things are going really well. Term has just started up, and and, uh, we're just so proud of them and and uh, just delighted how things are going so far. That's great. One other thing, you know, as we were talking a little bit before we we actually started recording the interview, you mentioned that uh, you what you really wanted to share today was your your testimony. So, would you just go ahead and lead right into that? Awesome. You know, I grew up in a good church going family, but despite that, I was very far from God. 
But when God created people, he created people to be in relationship with him. But when sin entered the world, that separated us from God. Now, when I was far from God, I was a person who was like out of control, angry, getting in fights, breaking bones, always trying to show off. I started to make some very good money when, as a drummer at age 14. But to be honest, you know, drumming was all about me. It was about showing off, getting people to pay attention to me. I got involved in buying and selling illegal drugs. Life was just, it was just angry. I, I felt so far from God, I was sure there wasn't even a God that existed. About then, I joined an outdoor leadership school and began taking some trips into the mountains of Montana. And during those mountaineering trips, out of my own arrogance and need to have everyone notice me, <laughs> there it is again, I got myself and my friends into some very dangerous, life-threatening kind of situations. But every time, we kind of slipped through. I never never died, obviously, um, but I sensed that God was real, and He was personally pursuing me in order to have a relationship with me. Hmm. So one spring night, I'm out driving around, doing what young guys do, looking for trouble, and I came across this Christian concert, and I wandered in, and the drummer in this band was actually better than I was. Hmm. And it was interesting because it was the drummer who took the microphone afterwards and challenged us with this question, who here wants to commit their way to following Jesus? And I felt like he was speaking right to me. And I said, that's me. I want to commit my way to following Jesus. And so I did that that day. And I started to read in the Bible. And I learned that when I was far from God, living my angry, out-of-control kind of life, that God loved me by sending Jesus to die for me on a cross. And when Jesus died for me, he took my sins and put them on himself, and he took his goodness and his purity, and he put it on me. And so that day, when I chose to commit my way to following Jesus, what I was saying is that I believe that Christ died and rose from the dead, and that he's alive today, and that I can be in close relationship with him and follow him. And so that's what I did. And in fact, that's how anyone can have a close relationship with God. So after beginning this relationship with Christ, a lot of areas in my life began to change. Some right away, some took time. First thing that changed is, is instead of being angry, I had a life of peace and purpose on the inside. Instead of someone always being needing to show off, I became a person who is actually more concerned for the well-being of other people. And so that's, that's, in a nutshell, who I am. And that, that testimony that I just shared is, is actually something I've shared many times with a lot of people who are far from God. And uh, it's, it's one of our key tools, actually, in sharing our faith and doing our ministry. So the the first question I was thinking about as you were sharing that was, you know, to to ask you about uh, some of the things that changed in your life after you came to Christ. But of course, you've you've already gotten to that one, which is is great. And I know that our stories, the the stories of God in our life, really are powerful. Do you do you have a, a story about when you shared this with somebody and how that impacted their lives? Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was out with our, our local church here in uh, Indianapolis, and we go out prayer knocking. Basically, uh, we prayer walk through a neighborhood for a while, and then uh, we'll go up to people's doors and knock on the door, and we'll start out with a line like, 
hi, my name is Steve, and this is my friend. Uh, give their name. We're out in the neighborhood praying for people today. If God did something wonderful in your life, what would that be? And could we pray for that for you? And then after praying for them, um, I might say something like, could I just introduce myself so you kind of know who I am? I'll tell my testimony like this. And uh, the lady that we met that night uh, was was actually very intrigued. And she said, you know, it's just amazing that you guys are here right now because I've been going through some difficult things and uh, some of my friends have really found meaning and purpose in a relationship with Christ. And it's just amazing that in your story <laughs> was about coming close to God through a relationship with Christ. I've never met anyone like that. And, you know, I'd like to know more. And so... We knocked on a lot of doors that night. Probably the first 10 doors, people were uh, not interested. But when you meet that person, it's suddenly all worth it. And it was, it was awesome just to see the connection that my, my experience had to, to what she was going through. Is it hard to deal with the rejection that sometimes comes from knocking on several doors in a row and having people turn you down? Uh, personally, not, not anymore. No, because I, I recognize that we're looking for God prepared people. It's not my job to make people interested in Jesus or whip up some kind of spiritual hunger, uh, just, just to represent him and trust that he has people out there who are asking hard questions, who are seeking. And so the fact that I hit 10 doors and they, they weren't the seeking people, it's like, well, of course, um, but I, I kind of hang on to Luke chapter 10, verse 2, which says, The harvest is plentiful, therefore pray for workers. But the statement, it is plentiful. So I believe in any era, any time, there are people who are ready to believe. There are people crying out, asking hard questions, just longing for someone to come their way, to show them the way to their maker. And so our job's looking for that person. It's it's kind of like treasure hunting, or, or is one term some people use, just to find them. So the fact that a few said no along the way, um, no, honestly, it really doesn't bother me anymore. You know, I, I think that's probably the first time I've heard that particular emphasis on Luke ten two the that the harvest is plentiful. Like that, it's a reminder to us that actually, even though it may not seem like it, it is plentiful. Is there, you know, one of the questions I typically ask is about a meaningful quote or a scripture that's been kind of foundational for your ministry. Is that Luke 10 too, or is there something else that kind of underpins your ministry as well? Um, I think as a long-term scripture verse, it would have to be Isaiah 26, verse 8. Um, when my wife and I first got married 25 years ago, we read the Bible out loud together um, once a day. It's very romantic. Um hmm an awesome practice. And we got to Isaiah 26, eight and just kind of felt a holy pause in the room. Uh, I mean, we just dropped everything and said, you know what, this, this is us. This is our life purpose. And Isaiah 26, eight says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. And so the first thing we notice is is that phrase, walking in the way of your laws. So walking in God's ways to us 
speaks about obedience. It's not just believing some tenets of the faith, but it's actually living it out. So for us, the first thing is we obey what he says. And then the second phrase that caught us was, we wait for you. And uh, waiting is an active thing. Okay, Isaiah was waiting for the first advent of the Messiah. Today, we kind of, we're waiting for the second coming of the Messiah. So, but it's an active listening to his voice, kind of waiting. And, mm-hmm. and the thing that's characterized our ministry in our life is that we want to listen for his voice and kind of get his direction day by day for what's important. And that once we kind of lock in on his specific instructions and are clear about them, then we get about doing that. So for us, waiting on his name is really listening so that we can obey well. And then the last part, uh, your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. That's really what we want. We want to see Jesus' name and good fame known amongst the nations and amongst those who have the least chance to know him. I really appreciate you breaking that down for us. As you were reading the scripture, the the part that actually stood out to me was the last part. But when you broke it down, it really kind of puts legs on all of that as well. Yeah, thanks. So, you know, as as a missionary, as as a believer, as anybody in the earth, we know that uh, life isn't always puppies and kittens and rainbows, that there are times of challenge and difficulty. Would you mind sharing with us a time when you faced a significant challenge or perhaps a failure and what God did in your lives through that? Yeah, um, very one significant challenge that came in our life. Uh, we were serving in uh, Southeast Asia, in a restricted access nation, and at that point, we'd been in country about uh, ten years, ten or eleven years, <clears throat> and um, had been part of launching uh, a number of new churches amongst various unreached people groups. But there was a lot of persecution that came with that. We were constantly the point person receiving the phone call from some local believer. Hey, so-and-so has just been put in jail. Please pray. Uh, We've just been run off our land. Please help. And uh, it just became too much to deal with, really. Um, My wife was burnt out and exhausted. Um, Our our kids were not doing well with homeschool at that point. I had started actually a business platform to be present in that country. That was going fantastic. Um, We were literally gaining access to a lot of different remote areas of the country, unreached areas. We had a good ministry team, local national ministry team that we were part of working with. People were coming to faith. We had seen at least 100 new churches that had started during our time. That's just the ones directly through the people that we had trained and worked with. And so things in one hand are going fantastic, but on the other hand, we just couldn't continue to function as a family. And so I had to make a hard decision. What am I going to do? Are we just going to press on and kind of keep dragging the family through this struggle? So I chose the harder path, which was to leave our ministry, leave the country. We literally said goodbye, ended all of our ministry connections there, and came back to the U.S. for an undetermined period of of time, not knowing if we would ever be players back out at the front edge of missions or not. And so it was it was really uh, you know just facing that challenge of uh, are we just going to press forward and 
<laughs> kind of ruin the family in the process mm-hmm. of ministry success or stop willing to risk all involvement in future missions. And well, God gave us a year of rest uh, and restored us in many ways. Uh, we then relocated to another country, an open country where our kids could go to a good international school so we could handle a schooling situation. Um, my ministry role changed from directly training church planters to a regional coaching ministry and mentoring ministry of team leaders all over the region, pretty much all over Southeast Asia. So God restored us through that difficult challenge. And and would you say that because of what God's done, you've actually been more fruitful now than you would have anticipated before? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Certainly on a wider geographic scale, we've been more fruitful. Um, Would we have been more fruitful if we could have just kept pressing on there? I think the Lord would have have not allowed that because... um, it just would have been disobedience to mm-hmm. do ministry at the expense of the family. So rather than sacrificing the family on the altar of ministry, I, I think God would have kind of withdrawn his favor and blessing if had we just pressed on. So it, I th- guess, yes, we've been more fruitful by, <laughs> by making the changes. That, that's such a hard call to make when you see fruitfulness and it, you have to make that call, right? To It's very difficult, yeah. Be, because and, I, I don't feel like there's a rule that you can apply 100% of the time. I think you really do have to hear from God. Um, so absolutely, yeah. yes. It's a discernment process, and uh, that's, that's what we chose to do. We said our goodbyes, very painful uh, process, but that's what we did. Yeah. Do you have um, maybe a, a personal habit that you believe contributes to what God's been able to do in your life? Um, we make prayer a serious habit in our life. So I pray daily together with my wife and, of course, on my own as well. Back in the early days of our marriage, we lived in a town, and again, this is a remote place in Southeast Asia, where we had no electricity all during the day. And we had electricity in our little town for about three hours at night. Hmm. And at 10 p.m., they would turn off the generator and the entire valley was pitch dark. It was like a no light pollution kind of place. (laughs) And we would lay under our mosquito net and pray together for a good 30 minutes or so before we went to bed. And in recent years, our prayer goal together as a couple is one hour a day. And I would say most days we we do that. Sometimes we're traveling, so it doesn't work out. But uh, And we structure that hour. Okay, We cover different topics, like we'll spend 10 minutes praying for an unreached people group. We'll pray 10 minutes or so for our vision, our ministry vision. We'll pray another 10 minutes for lost people by name. That's been a key feature. Then we pray for our own personal needs. Uh, we pray for each of our sons. And then, uh, you know, maybe... 10 minutes or so just to pray for the day and, and what's specific things going on right then. And if we're really pressed, you know, we don't have a full hour, maybe we've got 15 minutes. We've uh, kind of developed a tool. We call it a five, five, five prayer tool. And we just take five minutes on a topic. So we'll pray for an unreached people group, five minutes. We'll pray for our city for five minutes. We'll pray for lost people by name for five minutes and that's it. And we get on with things. And uh, so it's, it's just a, a way to structure the time. And so the, the habit of prayer has really, I think, made a huge difference in everything we've done. 
Wow. Thank you for sharing that. We are going to go ahead and take a break now. We've gotten to know you a little bit. And when we come back, then we're going to shift our focus away from you and a little bit more toward the ministry. Do you know a ministry leader, church planter, or a missionary who you believe would be a great guest for our show? Why not let me know about them? I rely on you and my former guests to help me find missionaries and ministers who are rock solid in what they do and how they approach ministry. I'm not necessarily looking for the proverbial rock star. Many of my guests have done things that might seem amazing, and others are heroes of the faith simply because of their faithful obedience. But all of them have one thing in common. Jesus is the absolute center of what they do and why they do it. If you know somebody who fits the bill, let me know. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com and let me know who they are and how I can reach out to them. And be sure to let them know that I'll be reaching out to them as well. Again, that's feedback at engagingmissions.com. If you're enjoying the Engaging Mission show, would you consider partnering with us? You can do that by telling people about the show or by donating to help cover the cost of the show. Visit engagingmissions.com slash partner to learn more. All right, we are back with Steve Fisher. We've been talking for the last few minutes about some of the things that have happened in his life, uh, some of the transformations that God's done uh, in him, and then also some of the challenges that they've faced. But now we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the ministry. Uh, as, as you may remember from the introduction, Steve and his family are planning to uh, form a team to go over to the Southeast Asia and to plant churches. Uh, so Steve, as we think about this ministry, how did God lead you to what you're doing right now? Initially, just by reading the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation and recognizing that God's mission uh, is to redeem and to call out people from every tongue, tribe, and nation to be his people and that he would be their God. And we see the Great Commission as a proactive sending of people into that basic plan. So when I first realized this is the main thing God's up to, I wanted to be in center of that some way. So I I began to do some research. Where are the places in the world where nobody knows anything about Jesus? You know, are there groups like that? And I began to pray through a, a book called Operation World which is now just online, and uh, began to pray for different unreached people groups and was quite shocked to realize that about 2 billion people around the world have no chance or no opportunity to hear the gospel. So I thought, well, could I make a difference there? So then I moved in with international students at college and began to see that God used me cross-culturally uh, in some ways, even better than with people from my own culture. And so that yeah. that kind of tipped me off that maybe I need to follow his leading to, to the far ends of the earth. Interesting. One of the things that one of my former guests mentioned, he was a, a missionary in Myanmar, and he mentioned that in his experience, it's actually been easier to reach a Muslim or a Jew to, for Christ than it is to reach a Buddhist. And I know that's where you're kind of primarily ministering. Can you share with us some of the challenges of reaching Buddhists? Yes. Um, the most fruit that we've seen actually has been amongst tribal animist people. And I would totally agree with your guest uh, who was in Myanmar that a Muslim has some fire you can redirect and some common ground with the Christian faith, as do Hindus. But Buddhists, their whole perspective on reality is so different than a biblical worldview that it becomes very hard to connect to them. 
even the safest kind of sentences are suddenly a problem, like God loves you. Mm. You know, we, we think there's just no way you're going to go wrong with a sentence like God loves you. But for a Buddhist, that's really bad news, because if God loves you, then that means God has desire. And if God has desire, then he's part of the problem of suffering in the world. Mm. And so I don't want anything to do with someone who loves me because he hasn't got himself figured out yet. And and so the simplest little sentence like God loves you is now already um, a mental confusion to uh, a Buddhist. And so we've really had to rethink our terminology. We, if you will, have had to contextualize our message so that it connects to where Buddhists are coming from. And so we don't... An, another, I think, shift in our thinking has is is to not frame things in a guilt innocence kind of terminology uh, which doesn't really make sense and connect well with buddhists at all Hmm. um you know you you've committed sins you're guilty before a holy god he's just and right to punish you that sort of logic that we see in gospel presentations like the bridge or the way the master here in the west just don't connect in the way that buddhist people think and so we come in with our our tools and our ways of of understanding god and we just explain them on even doing it eloquently in the local language and and nothing makes sense and so that that's that's the problem okay that's the challenge mm-hmm. So, um, I guess, you know, as I'm, I'm thinking about this, obviously you must have found some things that have worked well for you. Would you mind sharing with us what, what, what does work? I mean, it's hard, right? (laughs) There is, there's, there's not a lot that I would say is working in a broad kind of way. Okay. Okay. Um, your guest a few weeks ago, Jay Judson, mentioned a tool that uh, is called the lawyer's method, uh-huh. which is a way to explain the gospel in a contextualized way. And it does make sense. And I've, I've given it a go. And, and uh, I think with more educated Buddhist people in Thailand, for, for sure, I've gotten some really good headway. And it's built off the Four Noble Truths of Buddha. Mm-hmm. And all branches of Buddhism, whether there it's the northern Mahayana school, the Tibetan school, or the Theravada Buddhist school, they all believe in the Four Noble Truths and the eight, Eightfold Path. So the Four Noble Truths, uh, as a Christian, we can agree with the first three, but not the fourth one. <laughs> so all of life is suffering. And... Yes, we can agree. Life is full of suffering. The world is in a state of decay, or as the scripture says, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's wearing out like a garment. And it groans, waiting for the day of redemption. And in fact, we can find some common ground and say, yes, I agree. All of life is suffering. In fact, I can tell you the origins of that suffering, the origin, and we can go right into um, the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And we immediately have a connection, because not only can we agree on something, but we can add something that isn't in Buddhist teaching, which is where where did it all come from? Mm. Um, Buddhism doesn't answer the where do things come from question. Where does the world come from? Where does sin come from? What about the demonic realm, which almost all Buddhists believe exists? Uh, they can't explain where things come. They're just there. They're just, that's just, it's just there. That's the answer you get. And so there's a dissatisfaction. So when we can offer an answer, hey, I can tell you where suffering came from. Oh, 
great, tell me. And mm-hmm. I've had a lot of good conversations with Buddhist people at that on just on that first uh, point, all life suffering. And then the they uh, the Buddha says that uh, suffering comes from desires that are within, from this black fire, these desires that are in your heart. So. Uh, yeah, I agree. The sinful nature of man leads to a lot of what we see. The world is, uh, in the scriptural sense, is really the aggregate of, of all of people's sins all put together. And so that creates evil in the world. And so we can agree. And the third point, uh, the third noble truth is is there's a way out. Okay, there's a way to get out of all this. And the fourth noble truth is says that the way out is to do the eightfold noble path perfectly. You have to have perfect right thinking, perfect right. actions, perfect meditation, so on. I mean, not even Buddhists, they don't even know the eight noble whatever. They don't even know those, but they know they can't do it. Right. <laughs> Everyone says, yeah, we're evil. We're bad. We know that. No question. You don't need to establish the fact that we're evil in a Buddhist thinking. But so by using a tool like this lawyer's method, that provides a contextualized bridge. We're getting our terminology straight, and we've got a place to to introduce some scriptural stories. So the difference, obviously, we can't say doing the Eightfold Noble Path brings you salvation out of this suffering into this beautiful golden city of what they call nirvana. Right. What we would say is there's a one-fold path, and that's called Faith and trust in Jesus, following Jesus, this is the answer, and he will lead you on the way. He will lead you down the path to spiritual enlightenment and to, the, and to this perfect place where there's no more sin, no more suffering. And so that, that's been a great contextualized tool. You know, we've learned that from our friends in Myanmar uh, through Jay and others. And, and so we get a little traction with that tool. But that's honestly, that isn't the whole the whole answer. <laughs> Just getting our terminology right is is one hurdle. But there's been a few others that we've crossed as well. Do you mind sharing with us maybe at, at sort of a high level what those other hurdles have been? Um, I think not um, using what I would call multiplication-friendly practices. Okay. Which is a loaded phrase. Uh, but getting our paradigm right about how to make disciples, how to start churches. And we start a simpler, um, participatory, sent-out church, okay? Instead of inviting people to church, we bring the gospel into their context. Instead of individual evangelism, we use group evangelism, family-based evangelism. Get the family together and discuss these things. Work in a participatory Bible study kind of way. And so these are what we call multiplication-friendly kind of practices. And so we, we need to use those to get, you know, to seeing people come to Christ. Forming churches in a simple way um, with their family and friends as the core of the church, not just stray individuals from here, there, and everywhere around town. Uh, we get their family and friends together and form that church together. That's That's been a huge uh, help. Um, so yeah. the, the, um, you know, you're sharing some of the challenges, um, but 
as we think about this, so one one challenge we have, of course, is that there's it sounds like there's no magic formula, which is exactly what I would expect to hear. Another of them, though, is that Buddhism is not exactly a small religion. It's not the smallest in the world. Can you give us a picture of the scale of trying to reach Buddhist people for Christ? There's some different numbers out there. Mm-hmm. There's approximately a billion Buddhists in the world. I think that's probably a pretty good figure broken down into three schools of thought. Now, one challenge is Buddhists believe a whole wide range of things. There's, this is not a monolithic structure of thought. Hmm. And in one branch, they may totally say the opposite in another branch. <laughs> so <laughs> in Tibetan Buddhism, there's reincarnations of the Buddha. You know, but in Theravada Buddhism, there's no reincarnations of Buddha, and so you've got you've got some real fundamental differences in in the different schools of of thought. Um, almost all of Buddhists are are mixed up in animistic or or what you might think of as supernatural kind of practices that are mixed in with Buddhism, and so that you're never really ever dealing with pure Buddhists. I mean, Buddhism in, in its pure sense is just a philosophy of life. But as it's really practice, it's it's syncretized and mixed with local folk animism. So in Thailand, you also have a mix of, of Hindu practices, animistic hmm. practices, and Buddhist philosophy all kind of rolled together that form actual Theravada Buddhists. Okay. The funny, the funny thing is, Buddhists often Korea or Japan look to Myanmar or to the Theravada Buddhist school in general as the pure Buddhism, which hmm. is so funny because it's it's not pure Buddhism at all. Uh, so you you don't really ha- you don't really have a, a system of thought that's uniform that you can address, and so. You've got to you've got to find some common ground or common bridge and work from there, and one of the common grounds is is with animism more than Buddhism. So really? we got our four noble truths kind of tool, and that's great to get some of the terminology right. But a lot of times we need to connect to their animism, and animism is really about fear and power. It's a whole other orientation out there is is fear and power, and hmm. and uh, if Jesus, you need to see Jesus show up in power with people. And I think praying for the sick, seeing them healed, seeing God do something supernatural in people's life. Now they're they're interested because there's practical help to deal with real problems. And I think that's that's a key bridge to reaching Buddhists, which really doesn't have anything to do with Buddhism per se. It just <laughs> has a, it's a connector to their animistic belief system and and finding a way into that. That's, that's really interesting. One thing that's kind of, as I'm thinking about this, I know that you've been over here in the, the States for about a year. You've got probably about a year or so left, give or take a little bit. And you're forming a team to go back and do some actual church planting, this, this, to start some movements. How are you working to form that team? How is God putting that together for you? Yeah, we're still looking for him to put that together okay. entirely. Um, I mentor and coach a number of people, all actually all over the world. And through those mentor relationships, I have come to know a couple of families that are applying to come and serve long-term. We're going to relocate to Northeast Thailand 
Hmm. which is sometimes called Isan. Isan just means northeast in, in the local language. Go to Northeast Thailand. So there's one family that, that you know, just through personal connections that we've been able to recruit. Um, we're looking for, for uh, two interns. But sometimes we recruit through the churches that, that support us. So we've done some speaking in, in different churches that have been connected to us and just put out the word and say, hey, we're looking for coworkers. Do you want to come? Is God pulling on your heart to reach into one of these least reached people groups? And certainly the Buddhists and the Northeast Thai Buddhists in particular are one of the lar- you know 50 remaining largest unreached people groups in the world. So come join us. We've got some ideas how to go about that. We're, like I said, we're looking for two interns, which would be at least a one-year position, and two families uh, for longer term. For us, long term means you know ten years to forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we think long term because yeah. it it just takes time to get set up, learn the language, get going, and so we're looking for people that want to get in this for the long term. Okay, that's that's really good. Uh, we're, we're about to take a break, but before we do, I'd like to ask one last question, uh, because sometimes it can sound like uh, when people are trying to, you know, trying to introduce people to Christ that are that they're looking for notches on their gun belt, and I I don't believe that to be the case. So, could you share with us a little bit about what fuels your passion in all of this? Hmm. I think the main thing is God's glory, and that nobody steals His glory. Um. One thing that fuels us is seeing the very least reached reached and uh, reminds me of, of, of a story uh, in Vietnam very quickly. Uh, there's 54 minority groups in Vietnam. And a couple of years ago, I learned that the Thai Lu people were the last minority group which had no known Christians. And so I went to a church planning team that I've coached and worked with periodically over the years who are from that people group. And I said, hey, here's this opportunity. And they had a chance to lead a family to Christ in, in Vietnam from the Thai Lu people group. And to my knowledge, and at least those that study Vietnam, that was the first family to come to faith. And so when you see a family come to faith, it's really, as far as we know, the very first from that minority group in Vietnam, that, that has just launches us forward. Wow, that's great. So we are going to take a, a quick break. Um, but before we do, just for, for you as the listener, if you're listening to this and you're going, hey, God might be pulling on my heartstrings to be involved or to connect someone who is looking for a, an internship or a long-term opportunity, I'd recommend that you just stop by the show notes page, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Steve Fisher, and just just try to connect. I'm not saying that God's necessarily leading you in that way, because I don't know. But if if you feel like he might be, this might be the time for you to connect with them. And with that, we will take a quick break. We'll be right back. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Missions show. Uh, in 2006, uh, I was that's where it began. I was invited to a conference where a man named Roy Campbell and the guy who discipled him, Herb Hodges, was doing um, a small group training with some students from the University of Mississippi. And I was invited to that. And at this time, I was kind of fed up with conferences because um, I was like, Nothing happens in the outside world outside of the conference or as a result of the conference. And, um, but this lady, she kind of begged me to go and sent me a million text messages for I'm fine, talking time to go. And I went and God arrested me. This is the first time I, I, I realized what God saved me 
for. I knew what he saved. I knew what he saved me from. I did not know what he saved me for. And I knew the Christian life was bigger than sermon listening and church attendance, but I had no other model before me. And I was just hearing these guys talk about how Jesus trained his men and what they were doing in the States and overseas. And like the hell my neck stood up, and I wanted to be a part of that. And so I approached uh, Roy, who called him Soup because his last name is Campbell. And I said, I want to go wherever you're going. Asked me, what are you doing Tuesday morning at 5 a.m.? And at this moment, I was working full time. I was going to school full time, but I wanted what he had. So I began to meet with him and a group of men in his home. And um, basically, he gave me a vision for the world and a, and a heart to um, reproduce, multiply, and be in Jesus Christ. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we are back with Steve Fisher. We just finished up a short break, and we've been hearing about some of the things that God's been doing in Thailand and in Southeast Asia, about some of the things that are coming, and even about some of the difficulties in reaching the Buddhist people. Now we're going to shift our focus away from that and more toward you as the listener, because Steve has experience, he has knowledge, he has resources, and we want to totally tap into those. So, Steve... I know from the analytics that I look at, as far as people who visit the website and listen and things like that, that most of the people who listen to this show are here in the United States and are primarily called into the marketplace. They care about missions, but they don't feel like that's where God has called them, at least not right now. So what would you share with somebody who feels called into the marketplace, and yet they're starting to wonder if what they do really matters for the kingdom? First of all, what you do for the kingdom always matters. Mm. You are loved, and it, this is very important. Um, so in your workplace, in your neighborhood, or the club that you're part of, let people know that you're a follower of Jesus right away from first day. And when you let them know that, get away from all the jargon terms. Say something like, I'm a follower of Jesus, rather than saying, oh, I'm a Christian, or I'm a Presbyterian. Mm. So get rid of the Christian jargon terms, uh, just just common, ordinary terminology, and let them know your follower. Let the gospel, put the gospel message into your speech in some way, and kind of let people react to that. Uh, like, give your testimony, like I did at the beginning of this program. Just give your testimony and let that gospel filter who's going to be your buddy and your friend. And try to build those friendships based on a gospel relationship rather than just making friends just for the sake of making friends. And then someday, months, even years later, finally springing it on them. Oh, really? I have this important thing I need to tell you. (laughs) And it's my relationship with Christ. Okay, don't do that. That feels like bait and switch. And I think most people can appreciate and respect uh, that you're a follower of Christ when that's right out there. Um. Another thought that comes to mind is don't delegate your relationships to someone else. 
And the way that gets done is if God has put someone in your workplace or in your life that's seeking and hungry, maybe asking you questions, uh, give them the answer. You give them the answer. Those are relationships that God's given to you. Don't take them to the program where the professional Christian is going to kind of give them the, the, the meat and the content. You know, you give them the meat and the content right there in your workplace, over lunch, over coffee, walking down the hall, on the go. Um, don't don't give these God-given relationships off to someone else uh, so quickly. And it's so easy to just say, bring them to church, bring them to the program. Um, I think God's brought them to you, and you're the one who needs to speak into their heart. Uh, one thing I'm noticing in the American context is people are really spiritually hungry, way more than I thought. And compared to the Buddhist world, I, huge hunger, spiritual hunger here in the U.S. context. And that's a hunger that can get fed relationally, one-on-one, one-on-group, through the people that you know and you work with, uh, much, much better than if you take them to church and let the program kind of feed them. So those are some thoughts that come to mind about sharing Christ out in our marketplace. I appreciate you making the comment about not delegating the relationships and the responsibility for that to someone else. Uh, this wasn't in the materials that I sent you, but I am wondering, you know, sometimes it can feel like, you know, maybe people feel unqualified to give an answer. Yeah. Do you have any insight right. to offer there? You're qualified, man. <laughs> Number one, you're qual- You're probably overqualified. If you're listening to this, you're probably overqualified, okay? Um, but go ahead. Be prepared. I like to have some simple tools ready to go. Uh, you know, can you share what Christ has done in your life? What's the testimony of what God's done in your life? Who were you before? Who are you now? Can you do that in 90 seconds? Okay. We live in the tweet generation, so it's got to be quick. Uh, Do you have a gospel tool? Get a gospel tool together, something like the bridge illustration built off of Romans 6.23, the three circles diagram. Uh, Again, you can find that online, Google it up, but you've got a quick in two-minute kind of thing, you can you can get to the core of the gospel and uh, not be afraid of that or embarrassed of that. Uh, I think you're going to be surprised. A lot of people are open. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, for for those of you who are listening, there's a lot of resources that we've talked about so far, and I will make sure that those are all linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Steve Fisher. And I would like to say, you know, he talked about the three circles method. That's something that's simple enough that I've actually seen videos of a 10 or 11 year old doing it. It's something that we can all understand. You don't have to memorize a lot of stuff. You just have to have context for the world. Now, Steve, um, is there an internet resource, maybe a tool that you use that you'd like to recommend for our listeners? Yeah, there's a, there's a few of them out there that are really (laughs) good and, and, and maybe uh, duplicating things that you've come across. But I, I appreciate the Paul Timothy Network, uh, Train and Multiply, uh, which is, you know, 60-odd booklets that are very helpful at mentoring leaders. I've used some of the T4T, T4T um, materials, which can be very helpful. Uh, so <laughs> there's a couple of Internet things out there you can tap into. The Three Circles is certainly online. Um, my... My friend uh, Troy Cooper, you may have heard his podcast here on on your show, but uh, he's got a website with a whole bunch of resources and 
a bunch of those resources or some of mine that I gave him and they're up there on his <laughs> website, which is coopersonamission.com. And that's, that's a good one. And you can see the video there of the three circles that his son has done, which you, you can also watch the professional preachers give the three circles, but I actually like the way his son does it. And it's very whimsical. I went out on the street with his son and did three circles, uh, outdoor knocking one night. And, uh, he was awesome. <laughs> Just so disarming. It, and it's simple enough that the 10-year-old can do it. And that's the sort of stuff you want. Those are the tools you want to tap into. And that leaves you so qualified because <laughs> they're not that hard. Is there a, maybe one book that you'd recommend for our listeners? Yeah, there's a bunch of good writings on, on uh, disciple multiplication, on church planting movements that I like. And uh, I think the best written one is what Jesus started by Steve Addison. And it looks through the book of Acts, through the New Testament as well, and just, and then through history as well. What, what is this movement that Jesus launched? How did it get going? You know, break it apart for us. Let's see the dynamics of a real Jesus movement. And I think uh, you'll get a lot of field testimonies in that book, what Jesus started. So that's, that probably be my best read. Well, that's great. And Steve, I, I do apologize. We're actually running a little bit over our time, the time that I'd committed to you. Are, are you okay if we talk for just a couple minutes longer? Yeah, that's fine. So we are almost done, but I didn't want to stop before I gave you the opportunity to share maybe one parting piece of guidance or some wisdom with us and then a way that we can connect with you. Okay. Um, I guess my last closing thought is the harvest is plentiful. That's a statement of fact. I believe it's as true today as it was in the day that Jesus went up in the days of Jesus when he spoke it. There are people out there, probably up and down your street, who are looking for real answers to real problems. And you very likely are the person who can make life and death difference in their life. So get out there and find them, you know, look for the spiritually prepared seeking people. Always be asking yourself, is this the seeking person? Is this person spiritually open? And if yes, pour into them. If not, then just move on say, Hey, sorry, man. Sorry. I offended you. No, I didn't want to bring up stuff to upset you. That's okay. And just move on because there are people out there that need those answers. So don't bog down in those relationships of people that are not interested. Uh, Keep moving, be friendly, but keep moving and find the ones that are spiritually hungry. And so how can you connect with us? Yeah, write us an email, um, particularly if you want to come join us over in Thailand. You can write us at Indy, I-N-D-Y, and then the number 14, Isan, I-S-A-A-N, 15, at gmail.com. You can also uh, look up our organization website, uh, beyond.org. Uh, Act Beyond is our mission organization, and uh, as a mission, we're totally dedicated to pioneering movements of new churches amongst the least reached, unreached people groups of the world. And so, hope to hear from you. Well, Steve, thank you so much, especially for sticking around for an extra couple of minutes. I really, really do appreciate it. This has been wonderful. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes 
Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.